Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissette, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, braving life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett. Today's guest is Di Manuel. He is an award-winning digital thought leader, an author, distinguished Toastmaster, keynote speaker, former partner and CEO of a multi-million dollar retail company, and a sought-after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. Di knows the struggle of the juggle in keeping his health and happiness a priority. Di, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Thank you. And thanks for the introduction. A pleasure. And sometimes I hear it, I'm like, oh, I forgot I've done a few things. Just like you have done a few things, which is the reason why I feel really privileged to have this opportunity uh, to talk with you. you today. Really. Oh, Let's sure. just go ahead and dig in. So we were to do a comparison between where you are today mm-hmm. and let's say where you were say 10 12 years ago it's like about a month away it'll be 13 years i came to a conclusion that my relationship with alcohol was not good for me i had a really pardon using the popular terminology and pardon the pun but i had a very toxic relationship with alcohol and for those that know alcohol is very toxic on us personally and mentally and emotionally but i learned early on in life to manage my social anxiety alcohol was a wonderful thing it was something a couple drinks in and all of a sudden normally i'd be the flower off in the side, just observing and waiting for people to come to talk to me rather than being the one that would be proactive enough to go out, shake hands and introduce myself and meet new people. I'm naturally introverted, but I choose to work as an expert. So I've had some people say I'm an ambivert, so I flex between the two. But between you and I, Jeanette, when I do a keynote, as an example, I do a 60 to 90 minute talk in front of a large group or sometimes small groups, no matter the size, I still deal with a lot of anxiety before I get up on stage. Like my hands are sweating, my heart rate's racing. And, uh, and I'm like, oh gosh, what am I talking about? Why am I here? And so the anxiety still there, but with a lot of practice. And over the last 13 years, really focusing on that work, inner work, especially, I've been able to get to a place where I can harness that nervousness in a healthy way to make an impact. And I think that was something that I had to get out of my own way to do. And that's one of the most significant differences in the last 10 years. The, if, it's so interesting, right? If I met myself, my 13 year ago version of me, I'd be like, who the heck are you? And I think they'd be looking at me thinking the same thing because it's just such a change. This is the wonderful example of just how time and the sounding of time works either positively in our favor. And I'm not here to vilify alcohol. Please don't take me out of context, but one extra glass of alcohol above and beyond what you need to consume in a day from a caloric example. That seemingly small 150 calories a day, you compound out 150 extra calories a day for 365 days, that's about a five to eight pound increase in body fat. 
Wow. But it's just one little glass of wine a day. But it's amazing. That's, again, Einstein said the two most, or I guess he's coined it as one of the eighth wonders of the world was compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. Next to love, he said it's the two most powerful forces in the world or universe. And I think he's right. But we can compound things positively. It doesn't have to be a negative. But I think we forget that it is those little habits that we think that aren't a problem, but over time become a problem. And and we wake up one morning, we're like, whoa, I got an extra 100 pounds on me. Where did this come from? It's I guess those five years of eating the way I've been eating and not moving my body, this is the effect. And I can speak to that as well, because at age nine, I went down a path of dealing with a lot of mental health challenges, et cetera. And eventually by 15, I was morbidly obese. Plenty to unpack there too. But I know you asked for three, but that's the one thing that really pops front of mind, Jeanette, is how much I've changed mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually in the last three years. But it didn't happen by accident. It happened because I chose for it to happen. That's powerful. That's powerful you know? right there. I've heard you share on many platforms that you focused initially on the exterior, on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. And then you asked that you needed to go deeper. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I was slow to that one. Okay. Slow to that learning. And what I mean by that was it took me about 32 years of being on this planet before I figured out, oh, maybe if I start focusing internally rather than on everything that's outside of me, maybe I can actually make some systemic changes that will impact how I'm feeling about my life. Because I was always chasing something outside of me. Always. For me, it was affirmations, praise. To be seen as important and of value and looking for that consistent validation. And that's what I was always chasing. And I was chasing it any way I could get it. I was starving for attention. I could try to unpack this and believe me, my psychologists that I've worked with, they've all helped me with this. So I got it reframed in a much healthier way now. But when I think back on it, I didn't know any better because of the role models that were in life mm -hmm. and the people that I associated with the most, they were all trying to figure it out too. We were all just trying to make a go at it. I I'm staring down the barrel of 46 years old. At the time that we're having this conversation, conversation in three days, I turned 46. But with that realization is also that, wow, 46 years of experiences and not all of them positive. Many of the ones that were negative, I used to find that my brain would get hooked on those and repeat those experiences again and again. So I was always living in this sort of fearful state of regret and it would often paralyze me taking a step forward in my life. And if I think about that in my 20s, and it was just because I didn't have the resources, nor did I have the faculties or understanding of what to ask, most importantly, how to ask for help. I asked you about, about yeah. that. Asking for help, but more so in in the aspect of how did you begin to do that introspective <laughs> work and who did you reach out to? Did you read books first to get started yes. or tell us a little bit more about that experience? That's a great point to make because I look at who we are today as just as a society, as a culture. I'm speaking about North America specifically right now, just because that's the playground you and I play in. I'd imagine a lot of your listeners are also in North America. And when we look at just cultural shifts that we've seen in the last 20 years, a lot of that's been driven by technology and just access to information, but also misinformation, right? We got some good and some bad. We can duke it out any way we want and debate this all day long, but I'll leave the politics to politicians. And all I can say is that if we choose, we have access to so much positive, reinforcing, uplifting, as well as life-changing content. But do we choose to seek it? Do we choose to consume it? Because what goes in into this six inches between the ears, it will come out in some fashion. And it usually comes out in our actions, our thoughts, our, how we speak, how we show up. I recognize that in life. And I recognize the things that were in me weren't leading me down a path where I felt happy. I felt joy. I felt fulfilled. And bang your head. And times I, I'm a, a movie buff. I can see the comic book posters in the back here. I'm a nerd that way. I love that stuff. And very nostalgic into that. But I love the stories, right? The stories of people that are supernatural. They go above and beyond what we believe is possible. And this happens in real life all the time, right? And when we find those stories, it inspires all of us to hopefully, and I say hopefully, because I, I see this in everybody that I meet.
and I believe you have this too as well, based on your experiences and what we talked about before we hit record today, was this ability to see in others the potential that maybe they can't see in themselves. And I'm just very grateful that once I got into my early 30s and I had this life-changing event, and I'll speak to that in a second here, which is really framed around a question that my wife asked me. But at 32, almost 33 years old, I decided that, okay, enough's enough. I need some help. I need to learn a better way of living my life and not have to rely on all these exterior, like alcohol, and even sometimes that led to narcotic use. And I'm not proud. I've also done other things under the influence of those things. I've made choices and said things and done some actions that I'm not proud of. Do I regret them? Of course I do. If I had a chance to redo them, would I do the same thing again? No, not knowing what I know now, especially knowing who I am now. But at first, when I first started down the journey of the inner development, I'll tell you, it was really scary. I'm just being honest because sometimes we get really good at distracting ourselves from ever taking a look inward because mm-hmm. we're sometimes worried about what we're going to find. That's what I was going to ask you. What was the fear? What was it that you thought you were going to discover? It was more so what I also thought others would discover about me. And that was the thing that really affected me the most was this idea that others are going to see me differently than I've wanted them to perceive me as. We have a certain way of just showing up and we show up a certain way because we want to give off an impression and ultimately develop a perception of who we are, what we're about. And we want people to think about us a certain way. But a lot of the times, it's not necessarily genuine. If I'm fully honest with you today, this last week and a half, I've had some mental health struggles. I have. I've had some really low periods. I got into a fight with my daughter last week, my 19-year-old. And but and it's the best thing in my life. It was my kids, my wife, my family. I love it. It's one of my main values. And I didn't always honor that though. But in this last week, we had a fight and we haven't really resolved that yet. She's been house-sitting, so she hasn't been at home. So we've had this space and it just it's amazing how we get caught up in these mental patterns of just repeating things over and over and so i found myself in a bit in that cycle this last week and i've emerged out of it now thankfully and we're starting to reconcile that issue and that's nice but i know who i was years ago i didn't have the faculties or the understanding nor the resources to know how to reconcile that's what i achieved through doing some of that inner work that introspective work and of course having some professionals be able to help me understand what it was that i was exploring and i think that's the problem was a lot of us try to go this on our own. We might pick up a book, we watch a great TED talk, we listen to some inspiring podcast, and we chat to a couple of people that we've met that we have a certain perception of that they understand this. They got it all figured out. So whatever they tell me has got to be, maybe that's what I need to do. And then we find out, so maybe this isn't the right way for me. But sometimes we have to go explore it to figure that out. And I, I've been doing this for 13 years now since I made that decision. And I handed to a question. And for anybody that's listening, if you're struggling with something similar, listen, I, I know it's hard. But I also know there's always an opportunity to change. There's always an opportunity to take a line from your book is draw that line in the end and recognize everything that's led me up to this exact moment. It's okay. This line is a representation of that, but I am now stepping over that line. It's a clean beach in front of me. There is no footsteps here. What path am I going to create now? And there's something to that fresh start and what it can do for us, but to make it the best start, clarity breeds confidence. When we feel more confident, we procrastinate less. We take decisive action. We're in a more creative mood, if you will, or mindset. And we're able to just lean in, explore internally. Who is it that we really are? Why are we? And who who do we want to be? Exactly. Thank you. Because that gives us shape and direction. And that's what we can fill in. And, uh, And it is daunting. It is intimidating at times. I'm just being fully transparent here. But I'll tell you, as Gina, as that work has been, it's always been worth it. Because what I've gained from it, as far as deeper connections, greater understanding, deeper love and friendship. But also, I realized that after being in a career for some years, that was no longer my path. Isn't that something? 
Yeah. And that was intimidating because I, I honestly, I was a partner in the company. I was like, I'm here for life. This is do or die kind of thing. Like I really felt that this is my path, but things change when we change. And sometimes we're afraid to admit that the thing I'm doing right now doesn't fulfill me anymore. I'm feeling drawn to do something else, but making that leap, that change, especially the longer we've deeply entrenched that path, it feels a lot harder to get out. It does. I have to admit with all of the time and development and education that it takes to really become an expert at what you do and mm -hmm. have high value, when you walk away from something like that, that you thought was really going to be your path, it's more than a notion to do. So what I yeah. found is I had to reconcile about all this experience in this particular area. What am I supposed to do with that? And now it's just coming to me where I can integrate some of the learnings and experiences that shaped my entire life. Yes. And had value at that time, still does. But you have to do the introspective and the reflective work to know that, to garner the lessons and the learnings from those experiences. And because a lot of us, we're so focused, we experience the experience and then we're moving on to the next one. Never really thinking back on what did we just do? What did I learn? How can I make it better next time? Like that extra bit of reflection and analysis, if you will, of why we're choosing to do the things that we're doing to find out what is that motivation? Is it the subconscious motivation? Did I do that without even being aware that I did it? Like until we do some of that work, you don't know. You don't really be, truly become aware of our patterns. And more importantly, what we often hear in the psychology circles is this idea of self-limiting beliefs. These beliefs that we have about ourselves that subconsciously we believe to be absolute truth. And it affects how we show up in the conscious living of our life. And it limits us. It literally, truly limits us. And some of mine were like, I was afraid of leaving what I was in. I was afraid of trying to go off into doing my own business. I was intimidated by that thought. I was like, geez, will I be able to make a living? Can I do this? Feels like that's what I want to do. But really? I'm going to leave a very very stable career path, like very lucrative. It was supplying my lifestyle for me, my family. We had a great life. Why rock the boat? But wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. Sometimes you just got to say, you know what? Forget it. I'm jumping in anyways. And, yes. But it is a leap of faith at times, but we have to have that faith in ourselves. There's a game that my wife and I play. And we did this when I was exiting out of my career of 17 years. And we learned about this game, if you will. And I don't know if it's a game, but we treated it like a game. Because when you gamify things, it becomes more enjoyable, more fun. It gets some happy endorphins flowing. So it makes the work without dumbing it down. Let's just say easier. Okay. It just feels like less resistance when you're doing that kind of analysis or reflection and really getting to the nitty gritty of, whew, do I really want to make this kind of a change? And one of the questions that we picked up from Tim Ferriss, he did a TED talk many years ago, and he has this, it was, it was talk where he talks about stoicism. And in particular, he talks about this exercise of fear setting. And with this, so take this idea. It's like, you were thinking about making a big change. Let's not ignore the fear. All right. The fear is always there. Well, listen, it's in our DNA. We don't have to look at the bushes now and think, oh my gosh, is there a tiger behind that bush? And we don't really have that kind of a fear anymore, but that's still in our DNA. We've lived most of the millennia with those kind of fears around us. So we are sensitive to this. It's what keeps us alive, right? But our fears today are far less rational. Okay. And we have to acknowledge that, right? And our part in that and how we continue to feed that. But here's this thing. If I go back to this idea of exiting out after 17 years, I guess what stemmed that I should first refrain back to 13 years ago when I made the big change that set this in motion, this exiting of my career of a very long time to try something completely different. You know, it, for those that have a poor relationship with substances, whether it be alcohol, gambling, even like it's as far as the habits or pornography or shopping, like anything where we would classify it more as a compulsion or an addiction, or we just constantly value that thing over maybe our own life. Like that's what it was with me. It was a really a value proposition. I valued alcohol and how it made me feel and how I believed it made people perceive me. I valued that 
over everything else in my life. And you can only do that for so long. Not here to burst anybody's bubbles. I think we can all accept this as a truth. It's you can only live that for so long. And eventually something's got to give. I'm a slow learner. Things gave a number of times, but eventually the big one gave. And that was my wife. Our kids were both uh, under the age of six. They were four and six at the time. And my wife was at her wit's end. Yeah. And she is so kind, so understanding, so supportive, but she's also got a ginger in her, fierce redhead. Okay. And she sees something in me. She always has this potential and has always really tried to feed into that and unlock it, unleash it, get more out of me. And at times against my will, so to speak. And what I mean by that is she challenges me. And sometimes I don't want to be challenged, but I know it's for the best. And I know she's doing me to unlock that potential, to be the person that she knows I've said I want to be, that I'm not aligned with based on my actions. And uh, we were having a discussion and I won't go into all the gory details. If you want to hear it, listen to my TED talk. But the synopsis, just to get to the point, we were talking about what life was going to look like to co-parent our kids. What was going to be like to have separate households? All I could think back was also when I was nine and my parents sitting me and my brother down to explain that they were going to be separating and endorsing. So at age nine, my life changed. Everything changed for me. And this is going way back, right? Where there was a lot of stigmas around divorce back then. Like there was only one other kid in my class that had parents that weren't still together. Now a class of 30 kids. So I felt really like my whole world was crumbling, right? And uh, there was no horses. There wasn't any support. Like this, there wasn't, okay? I couldn't Google it. But my wife asked me a question and this is the question. So everybody that's listening or watching, this is the one you want to take to, to memory and, and keep in your back pocket anytime that you need to cut through all the noise. And she looks me in the eyes and she says, Di, are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? But literally that question was like a lightning bolt hit me because for some reason that morning at nearly 33 years old, all I could see was this image of people, more importantly, men showing up like I was showing up in my life at that moment, but coming to want to get closer to my daughters, my wife, like just, I can envision them coming to my household, knocking on the door and being like, yeah, we're here to see your daughters. I'm like, you're not allowed in here, man. There's no way. But that's what I was role modeling. I was saying that to my kids, to my wife, to my friends, to my communities. This is what a man is. This is what a business owner is. This is what a husband, a brother, a son. That's what I was reflecting. And again, pardon the pun, but it was a very sobering question for me because in that moment, I decided to make a commitment. And my commitment was that I was going to go one year without drinking. I know some people are probably like, only a year. That's not that long. I'm like, well, put this into context. From the age of 16 to it's almost 33, almost 16 years, the longest I'd ever done is like a sober January, like once, like one month without alcohol. So for me, this is a big commitment. And I was happy and excited and afraid all at the same time to make it. I made it for myself first. And then I told my family, I onboarded them. I pleaded. I asked for another opportunity for my wife. Give me one more chance. I'm going to make this right. I am wanting to be that man. I'm not going to stop until I am truthfully hundred percent. And she always saw that potential in me. So for some reason she saw in me like, okay, there's something different because she'd heard me making that kind of a promise before. And I had always undermined it by doing something stupid and believing that, oh, I've been good for the last few weeks. I earned a night out. Come on. What do you mean? Come on. And that's what got everything started. I literally that day, like just stopped, got rid of all the alcohol in our home and just stopped drinking. And within the first six weeks, I was like, holy smokes, this is hard. I was going to ask you about that. What kind of changes you had to make to your environment in order for it to support you in this? The biggest change and the most impactful change, and it's not always the most popular one, because for some people, when you invite people to change communities, that can be really hard. Friend groups, especially, right? So as we talk about environments and changes that you had to make to support some of the changes that were happening internally, can you talk a little bit more about that and other things that would have supported you? Sure, absolutely. First of all, I had to recognize, I had to come to the conclusion for myself because I was trying to do as much as I could on my own. All right? I had let some of my closest 
connections and friends and colleagues know that I was making this commitment that I was stopping drinking, but I didn't really make it public, nor did I believe at the time initially that I needed any help. But a few weeks in, almost a month in, I hit a wall. I was really struggling. And I remember the night in particular, my wife and I were sitting on the couch. It was late at night. The kids were in bed. And I don't know why, but for the first time in our relationship together, and we'd been together for about 10 years at this point, for once, just I opened up about everything. I quite literally like everything. I just dumped it all out. Everything that I was feeling, my inadequacies that I felt, how cheapish I felt around even business and feeling like I was a fake, a fraud. Some people refer to that as the imposter syndrome. That's what I was living. So that's why I put on such a show all the time. And I had this sort of facade I would put up because I was trying to project that I am this person. Meanwhile, on the inside, I didn't feel like myself. So that you get this sort of very opposing views, right? So there's this little war, tug of war happening and admitted I needed help. And we had changed the environment. So we made sure that initially, at least the first few months, I didn't go to any places that served alcohol. I really didn't want to be around it. I didn't want to have to even deal with the choice. To be honest, I didn't want to have to say yes or no. I just didn't want to be provided with the choice. I was like, it's easier for me not to be around it right now. And that social anxiety was still there. And it was loud and clear that this is here, man. I'm going to have to learn to live with this. And I was like, I don't want to live with it. I want to learn how to deal with it in a healthy way so I can manage this, but also succeed and move through it to truly be that person I've always wanted to be and thought I was. And I realized I needed some help. So I found a psychologist, I found a relationships counselor, and I worked with them maybe three or four months. That was it. It wasn't like a prolonged thing. It wasn't like for life thing. It was like I needed some help to clear some things. And we did that. And when change happens, it happens, right? When we make up our mind to do something differently, like we just got to start taking action and do the different things. And if you do it enough and frequent enough, that new thing is going to become the thing. And then it eventually gets to a place you just don't think about it anymore. It's just who you are. If you've enjoyed part one of this episode, check die out at diemanuel.com. That's D-A-I-M-A-N-U-E-L.com. And check back with the next chapter experience to tune into part two with Di. Thanks much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissett at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.